Hey guys, me and Harry have just finished recording an episode of the podcast and this one felt a little bit different. Harry, who did we have on the mics? We had Curtis Barron from FIDAS Information Security. And what these guys do is penetration testing. And the reason we learned about them is Curtis reached out and mm-hmm. wanted one, to support the show and two, try some podcast advertising. And you've probably heard ads on the show previously and they were all automated. That was on our previous platform. Now, one of the reasons we moved across is because we wanted to have more control over the adverts that we put on the show because we wanted to make sure the stuff that goes on our show is stuff that we actually believe in and mm. trust. When this came onto our radar, we really didn't know whether this was a good fit for the audience. And after learning more about what Curtis does, it felt like one, certain people in the audience are going to think this isn't relevant to me. But as part of this show, there is stuff that will help you think about and take the first steps in a free way to think about security in your business. So this is all about how secure are you as a business. This show right here is not a paid show, but... In the next upcoming months, you're going to hear some adverts from Fidus that are going to start at the top of the show and at the end of the shows. And I wanted to actually apply some context to what penetration testing is for Curtis, for Fidus, but more importantly for you, the listener, because I actually found it super interesting as you'll hear in this episode. If you do have any questions or any follow-up about this, you can either follow up with Curtis if it's about Fidus' services or just generally for me and Harry regarding the show, sponsorship and what we think about it. You can email in to questions at startupdiary.club and we'd love to hear from you. On that note, enjoy the show. It's super interesting. I think I actually mentioned the words. It's like James Bond if he was a CTO. So <laughs> <laughs> on that note, enjoy learning about security. It's super important. Let's get into it. Hey guys, as you just heard, it's not just me and Harry on the mics today. You're in for a treat. We have Curtis Barron from Fidus on the mics with us today. Curtis, do you want to quickly say hi? Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Now, Curtis, we covered off in the intro the fact that you reached out. You're going to be a sponsor of our show. But what I wanted to do, because the service that you offer is so niche, so specific, And to be honest, when I first heard about it, I didn't even know it existed. So I just wanted to take people through the journey of what you do as a business. But before we do that, could you just give a quick bio to who you are, what FIDUS does and your role in the company? Okay, yeah. So um, I'm a director within the company. Um, There's two of us who started the company about 18 months ago. And we were both previous penetration testers for large corporate companies. I used to work for BlackBerry. And my business partner, he used to work for a company called NCC, who were one of the biggest pen testers in this country and possibly the world. Um, We got a little bit tired of how we were being worked all the time and how customers weren't getting good value for money. So we thought, well, we could do this. And we both just effectively quit our job and started the next day in building a company. Um, We're now up to nine, nine members of staff six of which are penetration testers, um, and we're, we're sort of continuing to grow at the moment. Um, what else do you want to know about us? Well, well first, I just want to dig into that. So mm. you went from just the two of you, did you say 18 months ago? Yeah, we started in March 2017. Just out of curiosity, because I personally find that super impressive that you're now up to nine staff. 
how has that come about? Is that like previous contracts and clients that you that you knew, or is there a case that you just sort of landed in a market that's super hot right now? I guess GDPR might have been a big spike for you guys. Just how did you go from like two to nine in eighteen months? Um, so when we first started, we we couldn't obviously take any customers from the previous companies we worked for, um, but what we could do was reach out to other penetration testing companies and say, look, we've just started a business. We need some work. If you find you're booking too much work, we can take that on. Um, and that's how both myself and Andrew started. We were doing work for other companies. Um, then in the evenings, we were reaching out via email to companies that we know require penetration testing as a compliance reason. They have to have a penetration test every year. Um, for example, an IT health check is um, done for every single council within the country. There's over 400 of them. So the market's definitely there for us to come in at a lower price than everyone else, offer the same or better level of service and take some of that work away. So that's, that's what we started doing initially. Firstly, I love that. Just the fact that reaching out to existing people, too much workload, they still get to make a few quid. You get to get some initial contracts and leads and revenue through the door. One one quick thing for me, let's just go straight into this. We've heard pen testing, we've heard penetration testing. Just give me an idea as well as for everyone listening, what on earth that actually means mm. in black and white, plain English. Um, okay, so a, a penetration test is usually, because it, it can take many different forms, which makes it a bit more complicated than it needs to be, um, but usually is us attempting to break into a piece of computer equipment. So when I say a piece of computer equipment, that could be someone could give us a laptop and say, this laptop needs to be secure. Can you steal any data from it? Or we've got a mobile and web application that people put their credit card details in. Um, can you steal their credit card details? Can you steal our customers' information? Because in this day and age, with everything being done online, there's so much information that a website will take from somebody or a web application would take from somebody just for them to be registered as a user, that that data has value to people. And if someone's prepared to break in and steal it, there are potential fines and reputational damage to a company if if that data gets stolen. So a penetration test is basically us trying to steal that data from you before someone else does. So so who specifically would this sort of service be ideal for? As in, is it are the, are the companies too small that this is ready for? Give, give us an idea of like who your normal customers look like. Mm. Um, so we have a massive range of customers. We, we, we do work with, with some companies who are on the FTSE 100, um, but we also do work with companies who are just starting out. They may have made an app for um, sort of in the medical sector and they're hoping for the NHS to push this out to some of their users. It might be an application that, for example, someone can track their asthma inhalations with and that doctors can then view the data on the app. Um, well, they're going to need to have a pen test before they've even got any customers, before the NHS will allow that application to be used by doctors and by patients. So it can be from, it's it's mainly for a company that is going to be storing any personal data on someone and that that data is some way accessible over the internet. So is there is there a, um, uh, like a minimum requirement for companies to have these sort of tests carried out on them or is this kind of a, each company can make the decision to go through the testing and have a seal of approval saying we're, we're yeah, tested Yeah, I was, and I was thinking the same thing. Like, is it a nice to have or a must have? Uh, uh, and is it industry 
is it industry specific? So uh, again, this it can go off in so many different areas. For some things, it is a requirement. Um, so the, let's say the NHS as an example, they have a specific requirement of any anything that interacts with them on a on a on a data level has to be certified. Has to. What's that certification, Curtis? What is that? What is that stamp? Okay, so so one of their recommendations is is a check test, which is C H E C K, which is a scheme um, approved by GCHQ and the okay. National Crime Cyber, the National Cyber Security Centre, which is a which is a part of GCHQ. Um, so so we're a check accredited provider. What that means is we can supply services to people like the NHS and to people like central government. If I just use this opportunity to be very, very selfish, uh, I think it's just one of the joys of getting cool people on the podcast, is if you took Expert Trades as a company, an example, we've got sort of 20,000 trades that have signed up. We hold uh, credit card details on some of them because they pay for subscription services. Um, what would you do for someone like, if I said, actually, I've listened to this podcast right now and I'm thinking, could Curtis, when he's bored on a weekend, hack expert trades. Is that the sort of thing that I would come to you for and say, actually, Curtis, and is it completely uh, whatever you manage to do, you then produce a report off the back of it, work with our CTO to, to fix this stuff. Just give me an idea of, and I'm just as purely selfishly for me right now, something actually we hold a shit ton of data. Um, I, what would you do for expert trades if we were your client? Okay, so, so the first thing we'd do is we'd have a scoping meeting or call with you, and it would be to sort of fact find what sort of personal data you keep. So you mentioned credit cards there, but yep. a lot of places in the UK don't actually store credit card details. You store a no, hash we, that goes yeah, out to your provider. Them. So your your credit card details aren't going to be stolen. But like you say, you hold details on 20,000 plus people and businesses, and that data could be useful for someone. If they stole that, they've got names, addresses, email addresses. They could mm. tailor a phishing email out out to all of your users and really tailor that for them. They know the name of their business, so they could bring that into a phishing email and make it that bit more realistic. Let's just zoom uh, into that for a second. Just explain to the people listening what a phishing email is. So a phishing email is an email that perpetrates to be from someone who it's not. Um, so one of the big ones doing the rounds at the moment is a HMRC one that you yeah. get an email from HMRC saying you're due a tax refund. Click yeah. this button, fill your details in, put your credit card numbers in and you'll get your 500 pound refund. Well, the email isn't from HMRC. And if you do put your details in there, you're not going to have money go into your bank account. It's going to be taken right back out. Um, uh, just as a nugget for the listeners, what's the simplest way when you're looking at your inbox to sort of uh, try and identify. And the reason I know about this recently is because uh, my wife uses Airbnb and they sent out, she used to be a host on there on behalf of someone else. They sent out the thing to update payments and the URL was actually something like um, update-airbnb.com or something to that effect. So it wasn't actually from yes. but it like an, an email address. How does someone identify if, they're, if they are potentially subject to a phishing attempt? So when you click a link in an email, it obviously opens in the address bar. And you can tell 99% of the time that that address will not match where it's saying it's from. Um, okay. But the other biggest, the most important thing with email in this day and age is you, you can't trust any of it. If someone's asking you for personal information, you, you should verify that. If that means, if it's if it's saying it's from your bank, if it's saying it's from NatWest, pick the phone up and call NatWest and say, I've just had this email. Is it real? Because the phishing 
emails that you see today are very sophisticated. And I know people who have been in the same business I am for, for a long time. They've got to a point of nearly falling for it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of reputable, like I get a lot of emails from my bank, but they, they if there's ever an update, they say, please log into your account, but there's never any links. Yeah, don't blindly follow the links that are sent in emails. If, if, it, if it says it's from your bank, go to your bank's website and log in as you normally would. Good piece of advice. Let's just pull it back selfishly to me. Um, expert, <laughs> <laughs> uh, expert trades, you get on a call with us and we just say, actually, Curtis, I don't want to give you any insight. I just want to see how much damage you can cause um, is that something that clients come to you and ask? Because I'm actually really interested right now to see what, what could be done. So we, we run a service called a red team assessment. Um, this is something that's been very big in America, but hasn't really come over to this country in such a big way as it happens in America. And what a red team assessment is, is we start with effectively zero knowledge. And so on that scoping call, rather than trying to find out as much information about the company as we can from you is we set the limits. You tell us how far we can go. And we would basically evaluate your entire business in the way that an adversary or a criminal would. And we'd attempt to gain access using the same techniques. So give me an idea of those limits. I'm I'm just super <laughs> really interested. This, I, I'm, I'm, listen, uh, the, the amount of money that you've paid us to sponsor the show, you're probably going to get paid back right now in terms of, <laughs> I want to see if you can break in. Like, give us an idea of the limits that, that move. I think the easiest way to say, to explain that is to talk about a job that we've done in the past. Um, I won't be able to say who it was for, but what I can say is it was for someone within the financial industry in this country. Okay. Um, and our, our scope within that engagement was they supply a service and that service allows that you to get information about other people. Um, our, our end goal was, can we access that service and find out information about anyone we want to? Okay. That was our, that was our, our, our there wasn't really a limit put in place. It was, how would you do it? Can you do it? Um, so... When we talk about our job, usually it's in a very technical nature, but yep. we, we sometimes we don't take that route. So what we've done in this case is we, we went to their building, we watched it for a couple of hours and saw how people interacted with the building, going in, going out. And um, then we just walked in and oh a member of staff held the door open for us. We followed the dim, followed them in. We said, hello. We went and got a cup of coffee from the staff cafeteria. Um, and then we went into the managing director's office and stole his laptop and then walked out. And that happened within... I don't even know what to say uh, right that, now. That, 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 <laughs> that happened in about a, a five or six minute period. So we went from having no access to any of their computer systems or anything to having direct access to an unlocked laptop owned by the managing director of the company. Wow. And that machine had access to everything within the company. So at that point, that was game over. They need to stand back and assess what went wrong and how they can fix it. And just on this note, on that as an example, let's just say that failed and like you walked into the coffee shop and someone, actually, you don't work here, get out. Uh, give me an idea of some other approaches that you might take to get access to someone's data. Like how... How, that, how simple or technical can this thing get from the services so that you offer? That is the, that's sort of the sledgehammer way of doing it. Because right now you're uh, sounding like James Bond. I'm just saying, you're sounding like James Bond 
who just happened to take a career as a CTO. That's what you're telling me right now. <laughs> uh, so it, it's definitely not like that. You can spend lots of time sitting in muddy grass trying to trying to get access to a secure building. So it's not all as easy or as fun as that. Um, but one of the other options that we would take if we, if we didn't think we was going to get into a building is we'd then move to the technical side of it. Um, and that can be things like um, looking at something called spear phishing. And that is we will use the internet to find out as much information about a company and who works for them. And we'll target a specific individual within that company. Wow. And we will highly tailor an email to them that would contain a piece of malware or a virus, essentially, um, that when they open that email and they downloaded the attachment that we'd, we'd put in that email, that would run and that would give us control of their computer. From there, we would move into different parts of the company from their computer. We'd go from there to a server, and from the server, we'd go to somewhere else looking to get what our end goal is. And how reliable would Gmail be for defending? Because <laughs> I get all sorts of spam in my Gmail, for example. Obviously, there's usually attachments or invoices from unpaid bills, whatever it's supposed to be. Um, clearly, it just wants you to download it or whatever. Is like how good is Gmail's natural built-in defenses? I'm assuming um, to to get rid of the, the the standard, throw as many phishing emails out as you can and hope someone downloads it. It does very very well. But if you was to have an email, for example, as an invoice from the company that you use to record your podcasts that you receive on a monthly basis on the seventh of January, uh, the seventh of every month, yeah. Okay. So if you was to receive one on the sixth in exactly the same format with exactly the same information, you're probably going to download that email. Okay. So it's, it's almost like it's it's not almost hacking the system so much as it's hacking the, the mind of the person, just getting them on their routine and catching them off guard. Yes. I, the only thing I'm thinking right now is if Curtis did this search for trades, who would he find as the weakest link <laughs> is what I'm trying to work out right now. I'm never opening an email again. <laughs> so Curtis, from the point once you've done the exercise on the company, uh, and you've done this, Was it, sorry, was it red teaming? Yes. Once you've done that exercise, how do you then help? A so there's one thing doing the damage, which is awesome, which is fun. Then how do you work with a company to actually correct any of the holes they've got in their security? Like, When do you stop your services and then expect internal services to take over? So we go as far to, we'll report the issues and we'll come up with the remediation revise. We'll give you advice on, on how you can combat the issues that we found. What we won't do is we won't rec we don't recommend any vendors. We're we're very vendor agnostic in this industry. Is we will say you need to install new locks. We won't make a make a recommendation of what type of locks to use because that's for you to investigate and decide yourself. Um, so that makes us very impartial. So when we when we make recommendations for remediation work, we can say this is what you need to fix. This is a method of fixing it but you've got to go and fix it yourself. I guess there's almost a level of security there, though, by saying you're, by not recommending this system to defend, you just recommending a technique, then there's no, um, there's no risk for you. You could potentially be advising Liable, them. Yeah. For, yeah, so. but yeah, we have to be very careful as well. Is if, if, we, if we do a test on something, we make recommendations um, and we were to recommend very specific things, they make them changes, but they were still to be hacked at a later date then the question is how liable are we for that to happen yeah so we do have to we have to walk a bit of a line with that just 
Educate me on a, this sort of service. Does it tend to be like a, a one-off, come in, create some damage, find some holes, create a report, allow us to then fix the holes and sleep better at night? Or is this something that you do as sort of like a retainer or we actually, as soon as you've implemented a new product or a new feature, we'll come back in and stress test that for you. How does this in, like arrangement with a client normally work from your side? Um, so with regard to the different types of setting, with red teaming, it usually happens on a six monthly basis. Um, okay. over, the, over the course of a couple of years, you can generally see improvement within a company, which is good. Um, with regard to sort of like doing the application security, here's our, here's our app, here's our app on the App Store, um, download it, see what, we, see what you can do is that first pass through, the first time we do that test is you're going to fix all the issues that are found. So then you only need to retest that again once you're introducing a new feature or making a change. If you fundamentally change how that application works, then it's a recommendation that you're going to be testing it again. Um, There are some requirements in this country, especially for local councils, where they have to be tested every 12 months. Um, So it it very much depends on what your... what your potential for threat is. Um, and I wanted to just follow up with that in terms of one, my, I guess you've got to understand your appetite for risk as a business, but what is the actual risk of someone not having this done? And just so like, just for everyone listening, this is not a case of me trying to build up some worry. This is genuinely from a, like for a small company, what's their exposure compared to a large company that's holding the data. We're not a big company, mm. but the amount of data that we hold down to the people that we've got in the company is, it's fairly off balance. We've got a lot of data that we collect. What's yep. the risks of not having this done? Okay, so we, we don't like to sell on fear as a general thing. Agreed, um, yeah. Just because it, it's just not a good way of doing it. Um, so if we just take GDPR as an example, um, GDR, GDPR can come into play um, if you were to be breached at a network level. So for example, if you was to lose customer data because of a hack and you've you've made no attempt to ensure that that data can't be stolen, um, you can get fined up to 10 million euros or 10 million pounds or 2% of your annual turnover, whichever is higher. Well, 10 million pounds for a small business is a hell of a lot of money. Game over. <laughs> it, it's, it's essentially. Um, the, the thing is, no one's yet been fined by GDPR, but it's only a matter of time. Um, and, and I think that will cause a lot more people to, to consider what they're doing about their um, information security policies. If, if someone was to be breached, but they had done something about information security, they had looked at having a penetration test, or they, they, they do make sure they encrypt all of their data that they store, um, then obviously the chance of getting a fine drops massively. Okay. So I think the the whole point of GDPR was to um, ensure that people have control of their data. Um, and it was also to ensure that the companies that are looking after people's data are doing their utmost to protect it. At the end of the day, when we hand over our information to Google and Facebook, we expect them to look after it. Yes. We don't expect them to just leave it laying around for anyone else to steal. Um, and, and that's what these sort of fines and the penalties involved are. Uh, uh, designed to make them think a bit more about how they are going to look after data. No, it makes, makes complete sense. Um, just help for the sort of the second part of this interview. One thing that I really wanted to dig into is for the people that are in our audience right now that are probably 
they probably think, and probably correctly, that they might be too small to be thinking about penetration testing. What advice can you give to someone right now who's listening to the show to help them improve their own security? So as they grow their business, when it gets to a point that they need someone like your services, they come to you. What's the what's the stuff they can start thinking about? The top couple of things they can start thinking about right now in their business to actually think, actually, how secure are things right now? Um, so NCSC, which... Um, is a national cybersecurity center. Um, they run a scheme called Cyber Essentials, um, and they make recommendations of these are the sort of four or five things that that you should do to protect your data. Um, so the first one is use a firewall to secure your internet connection. Um, so what that basically does is it creates a buffer zone between your IT network and the internet. So okay. you can get out to the internet nothing can come in. Okay, makes um, sense. The second thing is is choose the most secure settings for your devices and your software. So that covers the things like, for example, your laptop, ensuring that it has a password set on it, ensuring that each user within a business has their own user account and their own password and that user accounts aren't shared. Um, it's ensuring that, if possible, using two-factor authentication. So when you log into Gmail, um, most of the time you log in fine. If you try and log in from a different computer, it will say, don't recognize this computer, and it'll send you a text message. You have to type the code that comes from your phone. So that adds a second thing that you know, or second thing that you have in this case, which is your phone, to prove your identity. Um, the third thing is to control who has access um, to your data and services. So that is, for example, if, you're, if you run an online application, it's ensuring that, um, for example, your development team will need access to the code for your app and how that app is designed. Your customer services team doesn't. Your 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 HR person, the person who works in HR, doesn't need access to your um, customer records. It don't need access to the usernames and personal identifier information of the um, of the users within the business. They only need access to this, the parts to do their job and no more. So there's a level of access control. Makes sense. Uh, we did that exercise internally yeah. when we did GDPR, which would be able to look at every every point of data we collect yeah. and we created a spreadsheet and said, actually, who needs to have access to this data? And then everyone that technically didn't, we just kicked them out of the service. And it was, our, it was our internal way to sort of de-risk what happens within the business. So yeah, makes complete sense. Um, number four is to protect yourself from viruses and malware. So that's ensuring that all machines that have access to customer data or within the business as a whole has some form of anti-malware, has some form of antivirus installed, and that it's kept up to date. Um, and then the biggest thing is keeping your devices and your software up to date. So patching Microsoft Office, patching Windows, um, patching the, the Adobe Flash Player that you use to, to use YouTube and things like that. Ensuring here's, a ran, here's a random question, guys. If I run a company where people use their own machines, so a bring can, your own device. Exactly. How can I? How would you recommend me enforcing that to the team? Um, it's, or it's, have it, I just got a whole world of problems that I've just opened up? There's there's a, there's so many issues just allowing users to introduce their own devices into your network. Um, but <laughs> if, if if that's something that's going to happen. Um, the first one you have to ask the question is, is why they need to do that. Um, is it because they just like their own devices? Um, and do they just connect to internet-based services with them? If so, it's probably fine. 
Um, if they're going to be connecting to internal network resources, so be that servers within the company, um, shared drives and things like that, then you, you do need to take into consideration how they're protecting their devices. Because if someone brings in the laptop that they use at home all the time and so um, the children have been playing with a the laptop, they could have downloaded all manner of things onto that device. So it could just be as simple as having an agreement in place that people sign to say they will install antivirus, anti-malware and keep their, their, their operating system up to date if they want to use their device on your network. And that's the simplest way to enforce it. Um, Makes sense. The, the, the thing for me is what you said at the beginning of that, actually everyone just uses their own device to access sort of mm. online web applications, like whether it's Intercom or Admin Panel or Google Drive, everything is is web-based and nothing stored locally. I guess that, that helps me in one respect, but there's still probably a level of due diligence to do just to make sure everyone's best yeah, practice. So that's as simple as just ensuring that any bring-your-own-device um, any bring your own device laptop or phone only connects to a guest wireless account in the office and all that can do is access the internet and then you're okay. create you're creating a buffer between your business network and their devices perfect harry is there anything else from you right now that you think our listeners should know while we've got curtis on the line about penetration testing. <laughs> yeah, about this whole sort of world that we're sort of digging into right now. I've, I mean, I've, I've obviously done some research ahead of this call, having Curtis on the line just to open some stuff up. Is there anything that you think the listeners would enjoy taking away right now? No, I th- to be fair, I think we covered it on the, um, the cyber essentials. Uh, yeah, I th- that's probably the best resource that these guys can refer back to. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the, the cyber essentials, especially for a small business, they do two versions. They do cyber essentials basic and cyber essentials plus. Um, Cyber Essentials Basic is sort of, it's a self-certified questionnaire and it just makes you think about your security. Um, it's a yearly thing that costs like 300 quid a person, uh, 300 quid a business. But it is it is just the sort of thing that as you go through these questions, it makes you think about how your IT security is dealt with as a whole. Yeah, it sort of puts it on the radar, uh, at least makes it, I mean, this has made me think about a lot of different things. Um, Curtis, if someone's listening to this right now and they actually think that they would like to follow up with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Because I can imagine if I was listening, genuinely, if I was listening to this podcast and you weren't on the show, I'd be thinking, shit, I've got a lot of data. How, how, does, a, how does someone, one, reach out? And then two, um, is it okay if we actually put your email address into our newsletter uh, in case anyone's interested in learning more. Um, yeah, so anyone can reach me me directly at curtis at Fidus Infosec. Um, you can also go on our webpage, fidusinfosec.com. Um, there's quite a lot of information on there already, and you can have a live chat with with a pen tester directly on the site. So that's not someone from a sales team or anything like that. That is one of our people that, that go out and do penetration tests. Just to help everyone, can you just spell out that website address so everyone yep. listening can, can make a note? It's F-I-D-U-S info, I-N-F-O, sec, S-E-C, dot com. Curtis, you've an absolute star. And from myself, I appreciate the input. We're probably going to take this offline and we'll talk about expert trades. And again, thank you for wanting to get some value onto the podcast for the community and thanks for sponsoring the show so guys if you're listening to this right now you will hear some ad reads from myself and harry about fidus because we think one this is interesting for you guys we've learned a lot from it and if you've got any follow-up questions make sure you file them straight across to curtis on that note harry anything else from you curtis any final words uh thanks for having me um and i'll carry on listening to the podcast
appreciate it see you soon guys Thank you.